God, it is amazing as we think about the marvel of creation. As we sit in this room and we look out these windows and we see the trees and the grass and the sky, as we see little birds flitting in and out and making their nests, finding food for the day. To imagine that you, the one who created all this, made us in your image to follow in your likeness. That as we ponder the life of Jesus, as Jesus reveals who you are to us, that we are called to follow and to emulate that. God, truth be told, we fail all the time. We fail right and left. Especially as we have now entered into this Lenten season and perhaps we have some things that we have decided we're going to give up for Lent and we find that our attention and our heart turns toward it, whatever it is, we know that we are weak, that we have something within us that chooses the wrong over and over. And so we, we plead for mercy. We plead for help. We plead for the salvation of Jesus to enter into us by your spirit, to begin to remake us beginning with our hearts and moving outward from there. So that each day as we try to follow Jesus, we begin to look a little bit more like him. Thank you for having patience with us. Thank you for never abandoning us. Thank you for always loving us on our good days and our bad days. Help us to love ourselves the way that you love us. But also, we pray that we would never get complacent with desiring a change. Lord, as we come together this morning to worship, as we gather in this place to sing songs, to read scripture, to pray prayers, to hear a word from you, we come with burdens on our heart this morning. We want to lift these to you. If, if only for this hour of worship, we wish to be unburdened by these. And the only way that we know how to do that is to speak them out loud in the congregation and hope that our prayers ascend to you and that you then take that burden from us and also that you work on behalf of the people that we are concerned about this morning. And so we're going to call out names, situations, things that are on our hearts, heavy on our hearts this morning. As we do this, each and every one, we pray that you would hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, 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 hear our prayer. 
Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Jerry Richardson, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. 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 Sharon Brosay, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Ken Silent. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, take all these and any unspoken requests from us, unburden us. We pray that you would carry the weight which you have asked us to do, to give you the weight to carry. May we allow you to do that this morning. We trust and hope that you are working toward the good of all who love you, and that includes us. We thank you, we praise you. May you be glorified in all that we say and do during this worship hour. And it is in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Amen. I'd like to invite the children to come forward for our children's time. And Jay, Kaylee, I'm so glad you're here today because I needed some siblings. I needed a brother-sister pair because... Um, have you ever had to apologize to one another when maybe you didn't quite mean it? Have you ever had to say sorry when you weren't actually very sorry? I had to a lot when I was little. I had to apologize to my, yeah, your mom comes and you've, you know, pushed one another or done something to make each other mad. And, you know, your parents say, okay, we'll say sorry. And you're like, okay, sorry, but... You maybe don't really mean it. I had to do that a lot. I grew up with a big sister and a little brother, so I stuck right in the middle. So I had a lot of apologizing to do when I was a kid. So apologies can be kind of hard. Forgiveness can be a hard thing sometimes, right? So not saying the words. The words are not hard to say, right? We can say sorry, but sometimes it's hard to mean it in our hearts. Yeah. So what's something we can do? This is a very, very hard question. What's something we can do if we don't really feel it in our hearts so that we can be more forgiving, even if we're upset with each other? Do y'all have any ideas? Parents, how about you guys? Any adults in the audience want to give us some good advice? What's something we can do if we really need to apologize, but maybe we don't feel it in our hearts? We can pray about it. Yeah. I know, forgiveness is a hard thing, and we're going to be talking about that hard thing, um, not just saying the words, I'm sorry, but really meaning it um, when we get into a disagreement today, and that's what we're going to talk about back in Children's Church today, too. Are you guys ready? All right, do you want to pray with me this morning? All right, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us. Help us to be forgiving even if we don't feel like it sometimes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's head to Children's Church. Amen. Did I hear you say that we are going to get in a disagreement today? I hope not. I hope not. 
Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as these scriptures are read and a word is proclaimed, we may receive with joy what you have to say to us today. Amen. Our text this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 15 through 35. Listen now for a word from the Lord. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, Let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, Not seven times, but I tell you, seventy-seven times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you have not had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. A word from God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Who came to our, uh, our, our Shrove Wednesday? Show of hands, who came to that? Did you enjoy the pancakes? All right, good. We should do that every year, right? Lots, lots of pancakes. Okay, show of hands. You don't have to say uh, what it is, but anybody in here give up something for Lent. I did. Okay, are you beginning to see, we're only three days into this thing. Are you beginning to see how when you remove something from your life, you find your attention turning to that? It's terrible. It's terrible. That's why I'm glad in Lent that it starts on Wednesday and your first feast day is Sunday. It's only three days later. So you can just like test it out, see how you're going to do. 
I will tell you that I am, I am fasting from social media. I still have it on my phone. I still have the apps because I've got to go live on Thursday uh, morning for prayer. But I can't tell you how many times between Wednesday and today that I kept like reaching for my phone to check Facebook. And it's like, no, no. And then you reach for it again, no. And then this morning I woke up. Ah, I haven't looked at Facebook for three whole days. It's going to be a, a treasure trove. I'm going to open it up about 30 seconds later. It's like, there's nothing going on on Facebook. Right? It's just these things we build up in our mind. Let's pray. Lord, may a word be proclaimed through me or perhaps in spite of me today. Amen and amen. You know, there's this story told of this older couple. They'd been married for a really, really long time, and they fought all the time. They were known as the couple that fought all the time. They fought about her shopping habits. They fought about his drinking habits. And people wondered, why in the world do you all stay together if all you do is fight? But they both seemed committed to making each other miserable throughout their lives, and so they stayed together. In fact, one time, it was overheard, the man said, you know, if I die before you, I'm going to dig myself out of my grave, and I'm going to haunt you for the rest of your life. Well, it turns out he did die first, and the wife, you know, got all the things ready, bought the casket, had the ceremony, but no sooner had the ceremony, the funeral, ended she grabbed her bag and her girlfriends, and she headed out the door to go shopping. She shopped like there was no tomorrow, free as a bird. And her friends said, well, goodness, you know, your, your husband was so cantankerous. Aren't you a little bit worried that he might just dig himself out of his grave and do what he said he was going to do? And she said, oh, let him try. I buried him upside down. That's a little chuckle for this morning. You know, other than this couple, I don't know too many people in my life that actually enjoy fighting with somebody else, right? Fighting is just not fun. Jack, you like, you like fighting with people? I don't like it. I don't know too many people who do. What? <laughs> and so I guess that makes sense that, you know, when you are in a disagreement with somebody or you have beef with somebody, uh, it's not too common that you would see somebody intentionally confront that other person, right? Confrontation is just not pleasant for anybody. For me, as an Enneagram 9, I've told you that before about the sacred Enneagram, my personality type, I'm what's called a peacemaker. Now, when I first saw that, I thought, well, that's not me, because I thought a peacemaker is one who wants to see kumbaya with it. You know, oh, I long to see you make up with this person. That's not what it's about. I want peace in my life. That's what it means to be a peacemaker. I want things to be like chill for me. And so typically, uh, if somebody offends me or does me wrong, I would just rather forgive and just let bygones be bygones and let's just move on. You know, it's just not enough for me to make it into a bigger issue. And so here we have this passage of scripture this morning in Matthew 18, where Jesus is not only telling us to confront people, he's giving us step-by-step -step instructions, a three-step process for going and confronting someone who has sinned against you for the purpose of reconciliation and mending the relationship. I had a friend who 
loved this passage. He used it regularly, almost as if it was a weapon. Right? As soon as he perceived that somebody had lied about him or done something against him or whatever, man, he grabbed his Bible, he picked up the phone, and he would start on the steps. He would call that person up or he would arrange a meeting one-on-one -on -one and say, hey, Matthew 18 gives me the authority to confront you about what you have done. And so you and I are going to have a chat here. And then if that didn't work, then he would grab two or three witnesses and he would go back to that person. I have witnesses now to corroborate my story. We're going to get this hashed out. If that didn't work, he would pick up the phone and call the pastor of the person. So if you went to another church, he would call your pastor and say, you need to know what your church member has done. And we need to arrange a little meeting with some of the church leaders in the congregation to confront him and get him back on track. Now, how do you think that went over? Right? I, in all my years of hanging out with this guy, I don't think it ever brought reconciliation. I don't, I don't know that it ever did what it was supposed to do. It just made people mad. And so because of this, because I, I had this experience with this guy and with his use of Matthew 18, um, I was a little upset that this was our text for today. When I saw that this was in the lectionary, I thought, I don't want to preach on this. I avoid this text. I don't like this text. So I was trying to find some other aspect of it that I could preach on, maybe the parable about the kingdom of heaven or, or just, just focus on forgiveness. But then I saw what Jesus said right before this passage, and it changed my mind. I want you to hear verses 10 through 14. Right before Jesus is talking about this confrontation, these three steps to confront someone. He says, Take care that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you, in heaven, their angels continually see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones should be lost. Interesting, right? Now, I've always read this. We just sang this twice in the songs, two different songs mentioned the God who goes after the 99. I always place myself in the one who's gone astray, and God comes after me, and I'm so grateful, you know, that God loves me and comes after me. But it's flipped now because he goes into this, when a brother sins against you, this is what you ought to do, right? There's a connection here. Jesus is saying, the one who sins against you is like a little child who has stumbled. It's like a little sheep who has wandered out of the safety of the fold. This is the one, the one that sinned against you, that offended you, that is so precious to God that God would leave the 99 to find that one and bring him back to the fold. So beloved that God would not rest until this little one is back on her feet and restored into the community, right? It, it's easier to think when you're the one who has gone astray that God loves you enough to come after you. 
it's harder when the one who has gone astray is the one who has offended you. And God is saying, you go and find this sheep. Restoration, reconciliation are incredibly important to God. And so Jesus here, I believe, is urging us to have the same kind of attitude, the same kind of heart toward those who offend us. A heart that's willing to do the hard work of confrontation, not as a weapon, but in love, in hopes that true reconciliation can occur. And when it does not, grieving deeply over that one who is lost. You've probably heard the term, forgive and forget, right? On Thursday night, somebody said, well, the Bible says forgive, but it doesn't say you have to forget what they've done, right? Well, maybe so, maybe so. For me, if it's a big enough offense, I say, I will forgive you and I will forget you, right? I'm just going to go ahead and cut you out of my life so that you can't hurt me again. You can't harm me. That's, that's my typical MO. That's, that's what I'm going to do. And I won't hold anything against you. No problem. I'll forgive you. But we will not be friends anymore. And I love how Jesus is saying these things. And, and, and Peter, God loved Peter. Peter sometimes just kind of opens his mouth at the wrong time. Right? We're talking about this process of reconciliation. And Peter comes up and goes, okay, Jesus, so I get it. We're supposed to mend the relationship. But how often do I have to forgive them? And I can imagine Jesus going, really, Peter? Really? Well, do I have to forgive him seven times? Jesus says 77 times. Meaning, that's it's sarcastic, right? Meaning, you do it as many times as it takes. You forgive as many times as it takes. And forgiveness, as, as, as Emily was saying this morning, forgiveness can be hard, like true forgiveness. It, it could take a whole lifetime to achieve, depending on what the offense is. You know, some offenses are way bigger than others, and, and you spend your entire life working to forgive a, a person. Maybe even every single day that you wake up, it's like, I've got to make the choice to forgive today. But i got to tell you, if, if we're just talking about forgiveness, I, I much prefer just forgiveness by itself. Yes, it's hard, but it only involves me and God. Right? I can sit in the privacy of my own home, in the privacy of my own heart, and work out my feelings toward a person. I can pray to God, give me the strength to forgive, to let this go, to let go of my right to, to get even with them or to wish them harm. You know, you, know, you know what that feels like. Man, I hope they get what's coming to them, right? To get over that. To, that's hard, but that can be done just between me and God. But Jesus is asking us to do something more. He's asking us to do our very best to restore the relationship by going after the lost sheep. Going to that person that you're working so hard to forgive and to confront them in love, not as a weapon, but as love, hoping that that will bring them around. When it doesn't, then rehashing all of this by taking extra people with you the next time. And if that doesn't work, taking it public by involving church leaders 
and the congregation. And I'm thinking, Jesus, this is absurd. It'll take me my whole life to work out how I feel about this person. You want me to actually go to them too to try to reconcile? That's impossible. And yet Jesus says, I'm telling you, it's important to God. It needs to be important to you too. This stumbling child, this wandering sheep, go after them. Love them back into the fold. No, Matthew 18 is not a clobber text. It's not something that you can break out and say, ha ha, I gotcha. I'm going to employ Matthew 18 against you now. Step one. It's not that. It's wrestling with all these feelings. Coming to see this person as God sees them. Taking God's grace to them. God, can you just deliver grace to them? Do I have to be the one to take it? Gosh, I immediately thought of Jonah. You know, Jonah and the whale. You've heard that story before, right? God says, hey, Jonah, I want you to go talk to the Ninevites. Well, can't you do it, God? No, I want you to do it. I want you to deliver a message to the Ninevites. We don't know why, but Jonah it does not want to do it. Does not want to do it. In fact, he gets on a ship and sails the opposite direction. Nineveh's over here. I'm going to go this way. Right? Gets on a ship. Big storm comes up. All the folks are scared. And Jonah goes, I know it's God. He wants me to submit to this crazy plan. Just throw me overboard and you guys will be safe. They throw him overboard and this big fish comes and eats him. For three days, he sits in the belly of the whale, the fish, to mull over what God has asked him to do. This morning, I had a, I had a little epiphany. Uh, three steps to reconciliation, uh, three days in the belly of the whale. I don't know if there's a correlation there, but he's mulling it over. Finally says, okay, fine. I'll do what you asked me to do. The whale spits him out onto the beach. He gets up and goes to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a big city. Three days travel across. Three days to walk across the entire city. The Bible tells us that Jonah only gets a third of the way, a day's walk into the city. Three steps to reconciliation. One day in Nineveh. <laughs> Preaches the message that God gave him. And what happens? The people repent. <laughs> Them dirty Ninevites. They repent. They have the gall to say they're sorry and they mean it. And they turn toward a God that's not even their God. And they say, we are sorry. Will you forgive us? And God embraces them with open arms. A people that are not even his people. God embraces them. And then we find out why Jonah didn't want to do it. We find out. In anger, Jonah says, see, see God, this is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. I'm mad because I knew you were going to forgive him. Hmm. I'm seeing the connection now. I'm seeing the connection between Peter's question and what Jesus had just said. You see, because forgiveness is not just a matter of the heart in your own private home, in your closet, wherever it is that you work out your feelings toward other people. True forgiveness, true forgiveness begins to see the offender through the eyes of God with mercy and grace, 
hoping beyond hope that they will respond to the message of correction and come back to the fold. This is true forgiveness. It's got to get dirty a little bit. You've got to get your hands dirty if you really want to forgive a person. I've got to tell you, this message today, it's as much for me or maybe only for me Maybe it's for you too, but it's definitely for me. Why? Because this friend who used Matthew 18 as a weapon, I have cut him out of my life. I have not talked to him in years and years and years. I don't hold any grudges against him, but I don't want to see him anymore. And I hear the voice of God saying, you know, maybe these 40 days of Lent would be a good time to rethink whether you have actually forgiven this guy or not. Maybe this is a good time to extend true forgiveness and try to mend broken relationships. I don't want to hear that word today. I would just like to give up social media and just get through Lent, right? I don't want to hear that. But then I hear Jesus say, you have to forgive just as you've been forgiven. You have to seek reconciliation just as Christ was sent to offer reconciliation from God. As Paul tells us, God has reconciled himself to the world through Christ. Please reconcile yourself to God. Right? Paul saw this whole, this whole thing of Jesus coming was God taking the first step of reconciliation and then saying, now you reconcile yourself to God. This is what Jesus is asking us to do. And so even as I preach this today, I'm praying for strength for myself and perhaps for you too, the courage to do whatever needs to be done to extend some type of olive branch to get communication going again, perhaps somewhere in these 40 days. And you all can hold me accountable. Gosh, I can't believe I just said that. Y'all can hold me accountable. Ask me if I've reached out to this guy. But I pray for strength for all of us. Because this is what Lent is about, right? Just, just re-evaluating uh, our spiritual health and anything that's blocking that up. And it includes maybe people that we've cut off a little bit too early. So that's my prayer for us today. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Let's pray. We thank you for this word today. It's uncomfortable. I don't like it. But I pray that you would give us strength. I'm sure that everybody in this room has somebody that they have just written off and, and you're asking us to go the extra step and to see them through your eyes as one that you would actually come and die on the cross for. Uh, and that's hard to do because we didn't die on the cross for them. And yet you're asking us to love them the way you love them. We can only do that by your power. We can only do that if you instill that love into our hearts for them. Give us eyes to see, hearts to love, hearts that will forgive just as we've been forgiven. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May you know right now that you are perfectly loved, you are completely forgiven, 
and you are uniquely empowered. And now you're called to go out of those doors and live as a faithful child of God. Guess what? You're going to make some mistakes this week, as we all do. We all do things that we regret later. I need you to know in those moments, it doesn't change how God feels about you because God's love for us is not based on our performance. It's rooted in His very nature. First John tells us God is love. So that when God looks at us, He says, you are a beloved child. Perhaps you've wandered away, but I still think you are the best of the best of the best. And I think if we could leave here believing that today, it would change everything. So I pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that you take that good word and go from this place in peace. Amen.